one story my parents love continuing to tell is I had never mailed an envelope before I got to college. Hi, I'm Tim. Welcome to We're Only Human. This is a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit. These are conversations with people from all walks of life, exploring their journeys and what makes them who they are. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm chatting with Kim Kaup, who is the co-founder and CEO of the Superfan Company, which is an agency focused on unique products and programs for celebrities and brands and the like. And you and your your uh, co-founder of what well, was called Zimpack at the time, Brittany, were on Shark Tank back in 2015, which admittedly is where I first uh, heard of you and, and Zimpack and everything. Um, so congratulations on that. I'm sure you hear that from everyone because, I mean, that was that was in the heyday, I feel like. I know Shark Tank's still on. I don't watch it as much, but I feel like that was, everyone was watching back then. Yeah, it was a, it was an exciting time, and our episode was one of the most highly viewed of the season. I like to think it's because of us, but what it was probably because of is our episode aired from eight to nine p.m. and from nine to ten p.m. was the Barbara Walters Bruce Jenner coming out as Caitlyn Jenner special. Oh, okay. Um, so everyone was tuned in <laughs> to see the first interview with Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, so that definitely bumped up the Shark Tank ratings, which was the show right before that. But we'll take it. It was it was definitely a fun experience. And, and like you said, it's the gift that keeps on giving because our episode tends to re-air every probably 8 to 12 weeks on MSNBC or one of these eight other channels. 8 to 12 weeks? Oh, my yeah. gosh. That they is compounding do. interest. Yeah, they do a ton of, uh, if you've ever been flipping through the channels, they do a ton of Shark Tank marathons on CNBC, for example, where it's like eight hours of Shark Tank, just one episode after the other after the other. Uh, so yeah, I, I continue to get texts from friends who are in the gym working out or, you know, at home and they flip the TV on and... They're like, there you are. How funny. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's quite, it's quite interesting and it definitely, definitely continues to re-air. So it's, it's still fun. Yeah. One of the reasons I, I want, I was so excited to have you on is, you know, being an entrepreneur, you've, your journey, I feel like an entrepreneur's journey is often a roller coaster. Um, but then you also, um, you seem to have this desire to, to help others and, and teach and, and kind of share the lessons you've learned. Um, I, I was um, either reading or listening to a podcast, but um, you were sharing a story once of when you were young and at shopping malls, uh, you would be the one to kind of get up on the stage and put on little shows. Like, were you someone that always felt like you kind of wanted to be in front of a crowd and kind of presenting in some way? I think what it was is, so I'm an only child, and if any um, other only children are listening to this, they know that it is very, very, very important to make friends. And it's probably more important to make friends if you're an only child than if you have siblings, because when the weekend comes around, you will have no one to play with if you didn't set up like play dates or had other friends that said, okay. oh, can Kim come over or, you know, whatnot. And so in order 
to not be home alone with my parents from, you know, Friday afternoon till Monday morning when I went back to school, uh, all week I'd be like, Oh, do you know, do you want to have a play date on Saturday or can you come over? Can you ask your mom? So I was always very much, uh, making friends and very much walking up to people and introducing myself and just, from a young age, constantly knowing that, um, kind of being shy was not totally an option. I mean, it was an option, but then I would be alone. So I I definitely wanted friends (laughs) to play with. Um, so I knew I couldn't be shy and I had to, you know, get out there and, and make friends wherever I was. Um, and so that was really something that I carried with me. And I try to, even to this day, if I'm at a conference or if I'm at a lecture of any kind, trying to even strike up a conversation with the person next to me, even if it's small talk, just to have a contact and have somebody that you never know. You never know who that person could be or or what could come of it. So I absolutely had that bug from a young age of being a little fearless when I came to other people. What a great skill or trait to have early on or to develop whether you, you know you're meant to or not i think it just your lifestyle enabled you to but i mean that's such a great thing to have were you what were some of the places where you would was it just any interaction um as a, as a child you would kind of you know be looking for that can i get a friend out of this or or can i you know can i make a relationship or, or was it certain relation or certain interactions more than others no i mean tens of obviously connections at school or I was signed up for after school programs and sports. I got really into sports because I thought to myself, wow, this is a, a whole team of people that have oh, to the talk ultimate. to me and yeah. have to talk to me and have to <laughs> like me and have to spend time with me. So I got very much into sports, but it was something that I carried with me, you know, if I went on vacation with my parents or went on a trip having other little friends to play with wherever we were was always something that I was okay playing by myself, of course, coloring, coloring books or making up random stories and pretend friends. But if I could have a real life friend, that was obviously more optimal. So I imagine always the one that kind of would walk up to someone and say, hi, I'm Kim, you know, uh, who are you? Or, you know, do you want to play or like always outgoing? Yes, absolutely. It was, it was, I tend to get uh, more shy now as I'm older, actually, which is really funny. But I think that's almost more as an adult, you're constantly thinking, Oh, I don't, you know, I want people to think I'm cool. I like dorky and weird. So it's, it's an art form that I have yet to master, but continue to try even as an adult. I wonder if some of it too, is like the innocence is gone. When we're young, we we, you know, we don't know any reactions or anything about how people might react. Whereas now we've seen enough where we had that fear of maybe they're going to react in a way I don't like. Absolutely. So you grew up in Florida, right? Was it around West Palm Beach or the general Southern Florida area? Yeah, I grew up in West Palm Beach. What, what's it like growing up in Florida? I Have you ever seen the show Bloodline? Uh, Netflix? I haven't, no. Okay. That was based in the Keys, but I, I um. I'm picturing like a lot of water, a lot of uh, getting out on the water, a lot of just being outside as a kid. Like, is that kind of what it was like? Absolutely. And West Palm has gone through significant economic growth in the last 10 years. But when I was growing up there, it was much more sleepy than it is now. There was not nearly as much development as there is now. And it was one of those places where, yeah, you got on your bike on a Saturday at 
10 a.m. You wave goodbye to your mom, you know, pre-cell phone days. And it was be back before five, you know, be back before sundown. And my parents had no idea where I was. <laughs> and there were no <laughs> cell phones and tracking devices and all these things, all these you know, gadgets that parents have now. And it was much more, we jump on our bikes and go to the beach or go to the park and play. And it was definitely a much uh, simpler way of life. I think now it's much more complicated with kids. I don't know any parent that would be totally comfortable with, you know, waving goodbye to a kid at 10 AM with no cell phone, no nothing. And you know, be back before five. Uh, I don't know if that would fly as much now as it did then. Yeah, I would agree with that. Is it, I mean, you're, you're kind of based in New York city now usually, and I can imagine that's such a different world than Florida. I mean, not just politically and culturally, but just even like the outdoors and being by the ocean. Does that, well, I mean, New York's by the ocean, but do you ever like kind of feel, oh, I'm a little bit removed from what I, what I kind of am used to? Yeah. New York was a big adventure. I really was excited to move there after growing up and living in Florida my whole life and going to school in Florida. And so when I graduated from University of Florida in 2008, it was really a dream of mine to move to a big city, see what that was all about. In my mind, I was going to stay for two, three, four years maybe. And I'm coming up on 11. <laughs> so oh. that, that plan sort of <laughs> backfired a little bit, but I tell people all the time that New York city is a little bit like quicksand. The more you try to leave or the more you make plans to leave, the more it sort of sucks you in. And there's always something else to do and something new to see and somebody new to meet. So it's a magical place. I certainly won't be there forever. It's not my forever home, but for the last 10 years, it's been completely incredible and definitely a place that I would recommend that if you like cities and you like that sort of fast paced environment, it's definitely something to try, even if only for a couple months in your life. How were your parents when you when you kind of left the the uh, the nest there and, and headed off to a big city? Were they missing you or like you know encouraging you you know enjoy your next adventure? I think they were obviously sad, as most parents are, whenever your child is moving farther away from you and not closer to you. So I think they were sad, but they were very excited for the opportunity. I think my mom really enjoys it now. She loves coming to visit me in New York. There's always a Broadway play to see or a restaurant she read about to try. So it's, I've realized now that lots of friends come and visit you when you live in New York. <laughs> the, minute you, the minute you live somewhere really interesting, you suddenly have way more visitors than you ever had at any other point in your life. And so I definitely have a lot more friends coming to visit me now that I live in New York than maybe when I lived in Florida. But I definitely think that my parents were super supportive about me going there and seeing what it was about and trying my best and spreading my wings a bit. How was your relationship growing up with your parents? Were they pretty involved and supportive of everything you were doing? I mean, you described kind of, you know, be home by five, and I'm sure that was, you know, common and that doesn't reflect their parenting or anything. But were they, you know, especially being the only child, were they pretty, you know, into what was going on in your life? Oh, yeah. Super involved. <laughs> 
super into everything. Dad was the coach of my basketball team. Oh, dad was the coach. I did competitive volleyball. They would travel with me to away games. They were very involved, very much involved in my studies. If I needed something, if I needed extra help, you know, organizing that, figuring out how to get me extra help, wanting to see my grades, wanting to see my report card. It was definitely parents that were involved in every step of the way. I think it was helpful for me to know that there were other people there to help me if I needed it, if I was struggling in a class, if I was struggling with a a subject area, they were there. But I think they also gave me room and space to grow and fall on my face. (laughs) And, you know, if I didn't study for the test, didn't get a good grade type of thing. So they were not helicopter parents, but they definitely were involved uh, every step of the way in terms of if I needed them or I needed their insight or guidance with anything. Oh, that's so great. Does that feel good now? Like you look back and think, I'm so glad I had that. I was extremely lucky. I think it was so fortunate. I do a lot of work now with juvenile justice and a lot of work with vulnerable youth. And it's a huge factor when you have individuals in your life, whether they be parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles, or even mentors, teachers that care, that care if you succeed, that care if you fail, that are there to help you, that are there to give you guidance. It's a huge factor in any child's life. And I think that I was extremely lucky to have two parents and even more extremely lucky that those two parents were so involved in having me succeed and having me be a contributing member of society because there's a lot of people that can't unfortunately say the same thing. So yeah, I think I got, I won the jackpot for sure. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Competitive volleyball, you were doing like extreme, not extreme, but you were all in here, like dedicated meal plans, strength training, like all in practicing. What was, what was that like? Was this like, I'm curious for you, was this a, I want to achieve this. I want to tackle this. I want to overcome and like kind of, you know, put this on the wall or was this just, you enjoyed playing volleyball? Yeah. I think I'm a competitive person by nature, probably stems from my father, but I love pushing myself. I love seeing how far I can go and uh, not so much how I compare to other people, although that's a factor as well, but more so if I can, if my vertical is 20 inches, can I get my vertical to 22 inches? Can I get my vertical to 24 inches? You know, I think the biggest competitor that I always try to measure myself to is me. And I don't try to measure myself compared to somebody else because I think as long as I'm trying to beat my own best, that is a good goal. So for volleyball, it was certainly that seeing how far I could push myself, seeing how far I could go. It was a great teacher when I think it comes to things like communication, things like teamwork, things like discipline. I think that sports are great for any young person who's looking to learn those traits. I tell people all the time that you're not going to learn self-discipline in a textbook. I wish you would, but you don't. And you don't learn teamwork from a textbook and you don't work communication skills from a textbook. You learn that by being in groups and figuring it out and 
you know, figuring out disagreements and figuring out how to work together as a team. And so I think sports are a great way to do that. Certainly there's other things that you can get involved in, whether it's school assemblies or clubs or organizations, but sports to me was a huge factor and and shaping factor in my life. And I think really helped me when it came to entrepreneurship later in my life and staying self-disciplined and being able to push myself because just like no one's really pushing you in sports, no one's really pushing you in entrepreneurship either. And if you don't have that self-motivating factor, you're not going to get very far as an entrepreneur. It's just, you really have to be able to light your own fire. That's a great point. It's almost like a solo sport where you're just constantly competing with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned dad was competitive. Is he, or maybe you got it from him? Was he a competitive person or is a competitive person? Yeah, he's definitely a competitive person. (laughs) I think, uh, (laughs) I think we're all competitive people, but I think, I don't know if he's so much competitive with other people, but loves watching sports, loves watching basketball and football games and, you know, watching competitive things. So it's definitely something that I grew up with a lot in my family. Is that where you think you got that, like you said, from dad, that competitive nature? Maybe part of it, I imagine, too, was just if you're, um, like you said, an only child, and naturally you're almost always competing with yourself, like you didn't have any siblings that you were competing with for, for attention or just, you know, in general. Yeah, it definitely was something for me to to do and, and push through. Um, I definitely enjoyed it, though. I mean, I, I still am very competitive. I still... Um, this quarantine has been interesting because, um, you know, you're constantly being like, okay, I'm going to do the best puzzle ever. (laughs) How fast can I finish this puzzle? Uh, which is obviously quite funny and amusing, but it's, it's amazing what you can be competitive about even in quarantine. It's the puzzle is a real thing. I never do puzzles and I just finished a 500 piece one. And like you said, I noticed every time I put a piece in, I felt this sense of achievement and I felt like, oh, I accomplished something. And yeah, it's like the picture of the ocean, but it's pretty cool. 100%. You, you mentioned um, somewhere on the interwebs that the first time doing your own laundry was when you went to college. And I connected to that because Kim, same here. I didn't do it. I, you know, I'm, I'll say it. My mom did all the laundry. She just did for the three of us. And I went to college and then I was like, oh, crap. (laughs) What? I mean, for you, was that like a moment where you're like, I am officially an adult because now I have to figure this out? Oh, there were so many moments in college where I said, I'm officially an adult. One story my parents love continuing to tell, uh, which I admit is a little ridiculous, is I had never mailed an envelope before I got to college because my dad worked from home. He had a home office. He uh, was a business broker, which is kind of like a real estate agent for small businesses like restaurants and dry cleaners. And so he had a home office and whenever I needed to send something, thank you letters for birthday presents or Christmas presents or, um, you know, just little notes to anybody in my family, I would, you know, fill out my little stationery and I would put the address on there and then I'd put it in my dad's office. And when he went to the mail for the day, he would put a stamp on it and off it would go. And so I had never even bought stamps before, which is so 
uh, silly until I even got to college. And then I was like, oh my God, where do you get a stamp? <laughs> you know, how does this work? How many do I put on here? Um, because I had never done it. Same with the laundry. So there were lots of things that I, I don't think I realized my parents took care of that all of a sudden when I was living on my own, I was like, oh, guess I have to take out the trash. And I guess I have to do all of this stuff that <laughs> previously was done by my uh, very wonderful and, and my very lucky to have parents. Yeah, we don't know what we don't know. To this day, my dad is a tax accountant and he's retired now, but he's done my taxes my whole life and to this day still does my taxes. So I've never done my own taxes, which I feel like is the big adult thing. So I know that what you mean. very lucky. <laughs> Yeah, I really lucked out there. <laughs> so you you go off to college um, and you loved reading magazines, just a big magazine person, and you were set on working at a magazine. What What's the deal with the magazines? Is it just you? I mean, I'm picturing like him at the dentist's office as a kid reading through the highlights or, you know, just kind of falling in love with this medium. Is that what happened? Yeah, absolutely. I had my highlight subscription. I had my 17 magazine. I had Bop and Teen Beat and all of the little magazines you had at Cosmo Girl when that was still in print. And so it was something that I just fell in love with. And we had a family friend. She worked in publishing. And so I definitely looked at her as like a whether it's older sister figure or mentor figure or just, um, that cool person who's, you know, older than you and seems to like have it all together type of thing. Um, so I felt very much like, wow, you know, I want to do that one day. And I, it really stuck. It was something that I just sort of knew from a young age, like 12, 13, that I really, really, really wanted to work in a magazine. How much fun is that? I feel like magazines, um, especially at that age, well, even now I've never worked in one, but they seem like this big world of, you know, people writing and photography and putting it all together. Did you, um, was it kind of like an escape, like reading the magazines? Was it, you know, I know like I love movies and I always feel like it's a great way to escape to another world or magazines kind of like that for you. Definitely. I think my, I was very fortunate. My mom is a ferocious reader. She could probably read a book a day, uh, but definitely a book a week to this day. She goes through books like crazy. So she very much passed that skill on to me. I read a lot. I love reading. Um, I read everything, whether it's books. Now I've been doing a lot of reading audio wise. I have an audible subscription that I love in addition to my, you know, beloved hardcover books and magazines, which I still get magazines to this day and people think I'm crazy, but I still, I love getting my magazines. So I very much enjoy reading it to me. It's a, a relaxing practice. Um, there are days where now we are in front of the computer so much and in front of the screen so much that if I start a work day at, I don't know, call it nine in the morning and I end the work day at call it seven at night, you know, that's a lot of, that's 10 hours of staring at a screen. So there's often times where I get home and I don't want to keep staring at a screen. Uh, I don't want to stare at the TV and I don't want to stare at an iPad. So if I can pull out a magazine or read, it's a form of entertainment for me that doesn't involve more screen time, which sometimes my eyeballs just feel like they're going to fall out of their sockets. 
Yeah, I think that's great. That's a even more reason to read magazines nowadays. I think that's great. A, a complete opposite of screens. Go, kicking it old school and reading the glossies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you then, um, at one point, you worked at Brides Magazine, which is um, a big, big magazine. Was that like the dream job or was it just, I want to land a job at any magazine just to get into this world? I wanted to work at any magazine and I got that job, that family friend that I had referenced earlier, who was much older than me, she worked in publishing. So all of my internships were under her and my first job was under her. So she was working at Brides Magazine. Hence, I started working at Brides Magazine. I had applied to lots of different magazines and lots of different jobs, but I graduated in May of 2008 for anybody that can recall 2008 Mm. was not a great year. It was the start and height of the recession. So beggars could not be choosers. I didn't get to uh, say, well, I really want to work at this magazine. It was like, oh my God, if someone will take me from a magazine, I don't care if it's, you know, big bear magazine, I'll learn to love bears, you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, So it wasn't like I had my heart set on Brides Magazine. I was just so ecstatic that uh, I got a job that, like I said, it, it literally could have been anything. And I would have been like, okay, we're going to make the best of this. Yeah, May 2008. So I graduated in May 07. So the, the May before. And I do remember that whole May through September of that year. And it was just, uh, I mean, in some ways, kind of like this current COVID situation. It was kind of surreal. We had never experienced that in our lifetimes. What a time to be getting out of school. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy, honestly. <laughs> Was it, were you, I mean, as someone who is competitive, you know, naturally and kind of wants to achieve, it seems, was that unsettling? I mean, more so than usual. I mean, because I feel like for anyone that's unsettling, but if you're really driven and now, you know, the environment you're being cast out into is beyond your control, sort of stacked against you, um, or I don't know, maybe that was actually more fun. Yeah, I definitely think that it's... It's definitely harder when you're getting a job in a, in a tough economic time. I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that uh, in the coming months, that when you have a tough economic climate, it is definitely hard to get a job. But it's why I really, really push people as much as they can to keep their connections. I'm a big believer that people hire people for jobs. I know that there's lots of algorithms and lots of, oh, it scans all the resumes for their GPA or whatever. But at the end of the day, there's somebody on the other end of that screen and somebody is in there picking who gets a second interview and who doesn't. And that's all people. And so whether you do internships or whether you have family friends or whether you uh, can make a contact on LinkedIn, people want to hire people that they know, that they see, that they like, that they trust. And so I think that that is really so important as almost more important than, you know, necessarily your experience or your GPA or your SAT scores. You really want to be able to utilize and rely on those connections and that network. So I'm a big believer in network building almost more so than GPA building or, or resume building, because I think at the end of the day, what really matters is that you have somebody inside a company or inside an organization that's advocating for you. 
they're saying, I know that we have an opening in the marketing department and, you know, I'll put my stamp of approval on Jeff and Jeff really is great. You got to look at his resume and you got to bring him in for an interview. You know, that, that inside advocate really matters. And I think that people should focus on that as their number one, number one way to, to get a job. Such a believer in that too. I love that you've mentioned that, uh, that idea of like, I mean, it really is all about who you know. I think about industries like um, the film industry and, you know, going job to job. It's all about who you worked with and will they bring you on to the next job and wreck. But really, that's every industry. I mean, like you said, it yeah. is just people to people at the end of the day. Absolutely. So are you someone who is uh, like a planner, like you're planning? I mean, you definitely knew you wanted to go into magazines and, and I think um, you obviously you got into it, but were you someone like that had a plan like at 12 or 13, like, okay, I'm going to go into magazines. This is my dream. And I've got these steps to get there. Or is it just kind of like figure it out as you go along? No, I mean, I'm definitely very goal oriented. I'm definitely very much one of those people that has lists and very organized and categories and all those things. So I definitely think that there is, you know, a rhyme and a reason to everything that I'm doing. It's usually part of a bigger goal or a bigger task that I'm trying to accomplish. So getting a job was much of the same. It was keeping those networks warm. It was keeping those relationships warm. I remember being in college and setting a reminder on my physical calendar. I didn't have a digital calendar at the time. I had a physical calendar and setting a, a physical calendar reminder for myself every four months to check back in with the people that I had done an internship, even though I was going to school at the University of Florida, and even though they were all working in New York City, and even though I was just, you know, some uh, 19-year-old intern, and they were in their, you know, 30s or 40s at these jobs, I always found an excuse or a reason to reach out to them every three or four months saying, you know, congratulations on something that I had seen that they had done. Or, you know, I had a question, is there a book that you recommend that I read? Is there a blog that you would recommend that I follow? And just having continuing that dialogue up, even though I wasn't in front of them every day. And I think now it's easier to do that more than ever with things like LinkedIn, which makes it super easy to see what people are doing and to see announcements and promotions and articles that they post or follow. But back in 2007, LinkedIn wasn't as popular quite yet. So it was uh, something that I did by hand. But now it's very easy for people to, to implement that strategy. I love that perseverance too and that consistency. That's a such a great skill to have. Thank you. I try. <laughs> <laughs> so then, um, so you're at the magazine and then, so I saw you on Shark Tank in 2015. I saw you, the, the world saw you, <laughs> but it felt like it was just me, right? That's television. Um, but you had started Zimpack as it was called at the time, a couple of years prior, I think 2011. Mm -hmm. So that's not too long after you get out of school. So you didn't hang out with the magazines too long. How did we, how did we end up deciding, you know what, I'm going to go create my own company, which admittedly, I think it seems like you've spun off kind of your love of magazines into something there, but I'm just, was there something in there that kind of pushed you like, you know what, I need to go off my own. I'm not, I'm not feeling this anymore. Not really. Honestly, I never dreamed of being an entrepreneur. I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. It's not something that I planned on. It's not something that I had big dreams or aspirations to do. 
I worked at the magazine. I loved the magazine. I was at the magazine for about two and a half years and just started to feel like I was looking for a new challenge. I had talked to my boss at the magazine and unfortunately there were no opportunities for growth in terms of promotions. It was one of those places that, um, if you imagine a very, uh, top down pyramid where it was like the director of marketing, the associate director of marketing, the marketing manager, the marketing coordinator. So I was a marketing coordinator. And unless that marketing manager was either a leaving B getting fired or C getting a promotion themselves, um, there was nowhere to go. (laughs) So after two and a half years, I really felt like I'm ready to grow. I'm ready for a new challenge. I sadly can't do that here. So I had started to reach out to a few friends and say, Hey, I think I'm kind of looking for a new challenge. What would that be? And I was 25 at the time. I made a ton of mistakes, but, uh, one of them was that I sort of had lunch with a friend. She was like, I know someone that's hiring. Uh, and within two weeks I accepted a job offer. Um, it was very fast. I met with them very fast. I got the job offer very fast. And it was one of my mistakes that I didn't pump the brakes a little bit and say, well, let me really research this company. Let me really research, you know, what it's like. It was an ad agency job, which was completely different than publishing. Uh, it was uh, my responsibility to say, well, what does an ad agency do? And what's it like to work here? And what is it like to, uh, work at this specific one? And are there other people that I can reach out to? I did absolutely none of that. I just signed on the dotted line and showed up there. And I thought I was going to be having whiskey at four o'clock, like Don Draper. I don't know what I was thinking. And so I got this job. And after about two weeks, I realized like, huh, I'm certainly not Don Draper. This is certainly not like Mad Men. And I kind of don't actually like this. You know, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I just kind of like signed on. And, and like I said, I made a lot of mistakes. I tell people all the time, check how deep the pool is before you decide to cannonball into it. Um, because I just sort of jumped in without checking the temperature of the water. I didn't check how deep it was. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. I just like jumped in and, but everything happens for a reason. And at that new job, I got seated next to my co-founder, Brittany. And so I turned to her one day and just said, you know, it's been two weeks. This place sucks. I don't really like it it's all my fault. I can't even blame anybody because it's totally my fault for not researching this. I think I'm going to call Connie Nast and ask for my old job back because they haven't filled it yet. Uh, and this could all be like a giant whoops, like whoops. I just shouldn't have done this whole thing. And she said, well, before you call Condé Nast and do a big whoops, uh, come get a drink with me. I have this idea for you. Uh, I think you'd be really great at adding value to this sort of idea I had. Uh, and that's sort of how it all, how it all started. But, you know, it was not something that I thought I was going to be an entrepreneur or thought I was going to do that from a young age. It was a, a series of happy accidents that I ended up where I ended up. At the point where you want to go back to your old job, or not even go back and say, hey, can you rehire me? That must have just been, I mean, I I can't imagine, obviously, two weeks in, you're like, this is way not what I expected. But then to kind of feel so at the bottom that you're like, 
I don't even know what to do. I'm just going to go see if they'll hire me back. I mean, what, what did it, what was going through your head at that time? Was it just like, that's my only option. They'll hire me back. If they don't, I don't know. Like, were you kind of like feeling like you're out of options? Um, I was sort of thinking, you know, if they, if they don't hire me back, I can certainly try to get another job. Um, uh, you know, worst case scenario, I can stick it out here for a year. Uh, cause that's kind of always the advice of, Oh, you want it to look on your resume that you stayed somewhere for a year. You don't want it to look like you're hopping around with jobs. Yeah. They and always so say that. I was like, well, you know, worst case scenario, I could stick it out here for a year. I can do anything for, for a year. Um, but I just knew my heart wasn't in it and it, I wasn't, um, I wasn't really in love with what we were doing. And so I knew I, I've always had this, um, confidence that I will get a job and I will have a job. It might not be the job that I want. It might not be the job that I love, but I have confidence in myself that I can learn quickly enough and, and to get a job. So I knew, you know, I can learn to do this job. I can learn to work in an ad agency. I might not love it. I might not like it, but I can certainly do it. And it, I'm certainly capable of learning how to do it. And so I, I tell people all the time who are young or, or even looking into their jobs, whether they're in their 20s uh, or early 30s, but especially in their 20s. And, you know, I'll have people say, well, you know, I don't really, my heart's not in it or it's not my passion. And you're allowed to have a job in your passion when you're in your 40s or when you're in your thirties, like you have not earned the right to say, mm, I know it's a full-time job with benefits and 401k and health insurance, whatever. But like, I just don't know if it's my passion. It's like, it is a paycheck. And you have student <laughs> loans or you have like, you know, a mortgage payment to make. It's like, listen, when you get to be, you know, a movie star, then you can be like, well, I just don't know if I want to take on this film. Like, okay, when you have millions in the bank, then you can be like, well, I just don't know. Um, but until that day hits you, it's like if someone is there and they're offering you wonderful benefits and a job and an opportunity, like you take it. Um, and I think a lot of people are going to go back to that in the next couple months of, you know, it's a privilege to have a job and it's, it's a privilege to, to work and contribute. Um, and I think that you can obviously certainly always try to go after things that are your, your passion. But, you know, I like to remind people that my first job, I was, I was getting my boss coffee. You know, I was going to the, I was getting her lunch. Uh, I walked her dogs at one point, like when I was an assistant and when you're an assistant, you're whatever that day calls for, that's what you're doing. Whether it's taking notes or getting coffee or, you know, figuring out how to do something like expenses or reports and, you know, is getting coffee the most meaningful work? No, obviously is getting coffee my passion Definitely not. But I think that you have to sort of put in the, in the grind and, and put in the time. And, you know, I think that goes back to sports, which we were talking about earlier. You know, you don't just come out of, um, out of the womb and say, I'm going to be Michael Jordan. And, you know, somebody's going to pay me a hundred million dollars to play basketball. It's like, no, you have to practice and do the sweat and do the games and do the coaching and do the, you know, 
you got to pay your dues mm-hmm. before you're going to be a paid a hundred million dollars and have a shoe line. Uh, and you know, all these other things that these sports people have, you know, they put a lot of work into it. And so I tell people, you know, you have to think of yourself the same way. You don't get to come out of college and say, well, I want a job that pays six figures and is exactly what I want and, you know, fulfills my passion and has all these perks. And it's like, no, no. I mean, yes, that might exist for some small percentage of people, but for the most part, um, no, you don't just get to like be Michael Jordan from day one. Humility, I guess. I'm starting to, in my head here, I'm starting to paint the picture. You're an accidental entrepreneur, but upon reflection, you know, you have all the skills, it seems, and all the traits, you know, you're very competitive, you're goal-oriented, planning, uh, very, you know, humble and not afraid of, of humility. And because I'm thinking that skill specifically would probably lend itself very well to when you, you know, start your own company and you're now a founder, you know, you're not on Shark Tank yet. You're not raking in the dough yet. You're probably you know, doing all the things you were doing as an assistant, but now for yourself. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Did that lend itself well? I mean, just kind of having that, I, like I said, I, I feel like all these, and I don't, and I want to, I want to learn more about kind of like what you see as your, your long game, but it, it seems like everything, every part of who you are sort of like built up to this idea of, I, I'm going to be an accidental entrepreneur or this is a natural fit for what I want to do. Did it feel like that? You know, when you and Brittany decided we're going to do this? You know, I think when we decided we were going to to take up entrepreneurship, I studied the worst case scenario. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, whether you're going to, whatever decision you're going to make in life to really study and stomach the worst case scenario. And so there are tons of people that come to me really excited and they've seen Shark Tank and they have an idea and they want to start this business. And when we go through this worst case scenario practice, it sort of comes out that maybe it's not the right time. Uh, in your life to, to start this business. You know, you have a lot of other commitments or other things going on. And so I always tell people, you know, when I started the company and I was 25, uh, I didn't have kids. So, so there was no one relying on my income. I didn't have a husband. I didn't own a car. I didn't own a house. I had scholarships in college, so I didn't have any student loan. Um, I didn't have things that required my paycheck. I didn't have things that required my time. It was really just me at 25. And I thought, okay, worst case scenario, this doesn't work. I make $0 and I can't pay rent. And then you kind of keep going with the scenario. Okay, if I can't pay rent, what's going to happen? Okay, then I have to leave New York. Okay, if I have to leave New York, where am I going to go? Okay, my parents are in Florida going to go home to Florida. Okay. If you don't have a job and you don't (laughs) have a house and you're living with your parents, okay, then what? Okay. Well then I'll have to find a job. Okay. Well, what's a fast job I can get to make money? Starbucks, McDonald's, you know, do I think I can get a job at Starbucks? Yes, I do. Okay. So in that short time, the worst case scenario was I leave New York. I live on my mom's couch. I work at Starbucks. And as long as you can stomach living at home on your mom's couch, working at Starbucks, then great, go for it. Um, but when you, when you play, when you do this exercise with yourself, there could be some real, 
detrimental results. You know, if you don't make the student loan payment or you don't make the house payment because you have no money, because your startup's not making any money, you know, is your house going to go into foreclosure? You know, is, is your credit going to be ruined? I mean, there's some real consequences to, to consider. And so it's okay. Maybe wait and start the business when you have more in your savings account. So you can use your savings account to make those payments. So there's just like different tips and tricks and strategies, but I was young enough and fortunately had, um, the financial and, um, sort of living situation and supportive parents that I knew that I could go back to their couch and live on it, um, that other people might not have. So it's definitely, I always tell people whether it's entrepreneurship or corporate life, it's just weighing the worst case scenario. And if you can weigh the worst case scenario and you can stomach the worst case scenario, then try it, do it. You know, obviously no one wants the worst case scenario, but as long as you're, you're planning for it and you're ready for it, then by all means dive in. I think that's great advice. What did mom and dad say when you called them and said, I'm, uh, I'm starting a company? Oh, they were furious. Uh, they were totally they were furious. furious. <laughs> oh, yeah. <no. laughs> oh my God. I mean, uh, a parent's job in life is to make sure their kids are safe and taken care of and stable and, you know, okay. And so, yeah, when you tell your parents in 2011, when the economy's not quite out of the recession, but, but coming out that you're leaving your full-time job, that you're giving up your health care and giving up your benefits and, you know, you're going to go try this thing where there is no health care and there is no benefits and there is no guaranteed paycheck. Um, no, I mean, most parents in their right mind would never want, uh, uncertainty over certainty. Uh, they would want certainty they would want, you know, yes, you're going to have a paycheck and yes, if you break your leg, there's health insurance. Uh, so they were very, very, uh, nervous and upset and now they love it. Um, but at the time they were <laughs> very not happy. Yeah. Oh man, that must have been hard then. Did you expect that? Or were you, when you were, you know, call them and say that, were you kind of like, all right, I know mom and dad are not going to be happy. I'm prepared. Or were you taken off, you know, caught off guard? Oh no. I mean, I knew that they weren't going to be happy. I I can't imagine any parent, um, whose child is going to go into entrepreneurship is they're going like, yay. I mean, it's, um, I'm sure they can be supportive. Um, but they aren't, crazy about the idea. <laughs> They're supportive, but <laughs> maybe not super excited. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that makes sense. Was it, you mentioned that when you were at the agency, then you, you know, met Brittany and you, you were talking and, and she kind of approached you. Did she already have this idea or did you two start to like discuss this together? And, and what was the idea originally it was, cause I remember on Shark Tank and all that you were creating actual physical kits of almost like a media kit or a press kit for these musicians and, and such where, I mean, there were CDs and, you know, uh, posters and all this stuff. Was that, was that the idea? Like I'm going to create a kit of like swag for all the, the biggest fans of this entertainer. Yeah. She had had the idea of basically making these uh super fan or, or kind of plussed up music kits. She had come from the music industry working at a record label 
And she had toyed with the idea before of putting sort of music and magazine and and creating this ultimate package for fans to buy. But uh, she didn't have any insight into the publishing industry. So when she met me and I had come from magazines and publishing and knew had publishing contacts and new designers and writers. And she was like, wow, you know, with my music background and your magazine background, we could really put the two of these things together and build out this idea that I think could be really great. And so that's really the impetus of where it started creating this content based plussed up music experience. And we would make these physical packages. We called them zine packs, zine for magazine and pack for package. So we would make these magazine packages that would come with a full magazine filled with photos and interviews all exclusive to that artist or that band. It would come with the CD, the album, and then it would come with some limited edition merch items that would come in the package, whether that was patches or stickers or keychains or bookmarks or, you know, whatever, whatever that thing might be. We sold those at Walmart and Target and Cracker Barrel. And they were for all different types of artists, uh, young, old, pop, rock, everything from Kiss and Katy Perry to Kids Bop and Johnny Cash. It was all over the place in terms of music and genre, but what held it together, it was the packages for the fans that were really, really passionate and wanted to know more and experience more with their favorite artists or band. What did it feel like to have your... You know, not everyone these days creates physical media, you know, a lot of digital creations nowadays, but you had physical things in stores that everyone anywhere knows. I mean, everyone knows Target and Walmart. What did that feel like? I mean, I imagine at one point you walked in for the first time at Target and you saw a zine pack and I, I would just imagine your face lighting up and, and just that feeling of, wow, I mean, that's a big accomplishment. Yeah, no, it was, it was amazing. It was something that I would get excited about. Uh, my friends would get excited about. My family would get excited about. They would all go out to the stores and, you know, put our stuff on the top and you know, make sure it looked really <laughs> nice. And so we, we definitely had people that were, uh, which I thought was really special. We had people out there who were taking our wins as their wins. And that was something that was really important to me that it was never something that Brittany and I did by ourselves. We have an amazing team. I have an amazing team right now that our wins, not only are, are our wins, but the family and the friends that support us and the clients and it's all of our wins, you know, everyone helps us get that product out there or get that thing on the shelf. And so really treating it like a group, a group win, a team win, if you will, uh, going back to the sports example, that, that was really important and, and still is really important to me. Oh, that's so much fun. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, Shark Tank, where I feel like most people go on Shark Tank, or at least, you know, back then, there are one of two reasons. They're either looking for capital or they're looking for the advice of, you know, the the sharks and the sharks teams have, you know, certain expertise in certain areas. So I would imagine you went for one of those two things. But was this a case of you and Brittany saying, oh, look, Shark Tank, this is a great place to go? Or I know it also is a reality television show in the cast. Did someone walk up to you or call you and say, hey, do you want to be or do you want to apply to be on Shark Tank? 
Yeah, we were approached by producers to be on the show. Um, so that was a, an interesting way to, to be invited, to be on, which was really wonderful. I had never seen the show, actually, so I didn't know what it was. Oh. Um, yeah, I... I I don't watch a ton of TV. I watch TV, but I don't watch like a ton, ton of TV. And so I had never heard of the show. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know um, anything about it really. Uh, but Brittany had seen it. So Brittany knew what it was. And when I had first heard like, oh, they want you to be on this TV show. I was like, oh no, it's a reality show. <laughs> I don't like those reality shows. Um, but she said, no, it's not like a reality show or you just got to watch it. And so I watched it and I was like, oh, this isn't, you know, this isn't the Kardashians. Um, so it, it's not that bad. And it really just kind of, it started from there, but we were lucky enough to be approached to be on the show, which was really nice. The thing I always loved about that show was, and it's still to this day that it brought the concept of entrepreneurship into just everyone's living room. So, I mean, and I think to some extent it might've glorified it, but it, I think to people that weren't familiar with this idea of, you know, starting something from scratch and, you know, f people like you and Brittany with this unique idea, uh, I loved how it kind of brought that to the forefront to people that may not have had exposure otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that Shark Tank is a great show. I think it teaches people about business and, you know, it's certainly better than watching the Kardashians. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, learning <laughs> about business and, and having young people learn about business is really great. Um, however, I, I do, I have a love hate relationship because at the same time, I don't want people to think that it's super easy or like, Oh, well, you know, you need money. You go on a show and seven minutes later, you know, you walk out with a check for a hundred thousand dollars. Um, cause like, that's not how it works. Um, but I, I definitely think that it's a great program and, and great for young people and families to all sit around and talk about valuations and talk about small businesses. And I love that. And so I love when young people watch the show and reach out to me on Instagram or reach out to me on LinkedIn and say, oh, I saw your episode. That's great. I think it's awesome. I remember, like you said, you kind of, we'd be watching it and then you'd start to like, almost be like, oh, you know, this is the wrong, that shark's going to throw him out or, you know, this is the wrong valuation. And you start, you're like armchair quarterback in this. And it's like, well, wait a second. There's a lot more that goes into this than what I'm being shown. And, you know, I'm as a viewer, I'm not necessarily the expert here, but at the same time, like you said, you're, you're thinking about valuations and percentages and all that and kind of educational. So I could see where you're, you know, like I said, it's, it's good. I feel like it's a net win overall, <laughs> but yeah, totally. as with anything doesn't come yeah. that, you know, free. <laughs> no. So is Zinepack, not Zinepack, it's not called Zinepack, the super fan company now. First of all, the super fan company, um, was this a case of, I mean, you know, you're putting CDs in Target, obviously it's 2020 now. Um, yeah. Target doesn't have a CD section anymore. Was this a case of evolution of, you know, we're evolving what we're doing and maybe the name kind of suggests that we're still putting CDs in Target? Exactly. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. We really just were getting into so many different things and we were really growing. But beyond that sort of initial concept, I, sh I tell people that it's sort of if you have something that's like version one, you know, iPhone one, and now we're on like iPhone 10, that the super fan company is sort of like version two of, of zine pack and you know, that we're constantly growing and constantly changing, but that the name and the brand switch really felt more in line to what we were doing than, than zine pack did. 
So is is the current version of, of Superfan Company, is this like what you envision? Is this your legacy or is this kind of like your life's work or is this just a stepping stone? Like, you know, like you mentioned, you know, New York might not be your forever home. Like is Superfan kind of like what your, your um, what do you call it, hanging your hat on? Yeah. I mean, I think the super fan company to me is, is wonderful. My team is wonderful. They're absolutely outstanding. I feel so fortunate to work with them every day. Our clients are amazing and super outstanding. And so I think for me, it continues to be something that's fulfilling. I think also what I've realized in this season is after, you know, I started the company in January, 2011, um, you know, we're now in 2020. I can't wow. believe it's been over nine years. Yeah, so congrats. I started in earnest. Thank you. I've started in earnest to really take a lot of the knowledge that I've learned to take a lot of the experience and a lot of the, the street lessons and, and street business lessons that I've learned over nine years of entrepreneurship and, and doing deals with these big retailers or doing deals with these big celebrities or sports teams and saying, how can I transfer this knowledge to other people? Um, how can I make sure that people don't fall into the same potholes I did? And that's not that's not necessarily just entrepreneurship because um, there's lots of people who are trying to work out big deals or trying to get that promotion or trying to, you know, push themselves a little bit harder. And so for me, it's how do I transfer all of this knowledge that I've, I've learned the hard way, uh, learned by falling in every pothole to other people. And so I've really started to build out my website, kimkalp.com, my LinkedIn, where I do uh, weekly free videos where I'm trying to pass on that knowledge and help people as much as I can because I just wish someone had been there for me and that I could copy their homework. Um, because at this point in life, I'm like, listen, I have the homework. Just come over here, copy <laughs> it down. Then you don't have to worry about doing it all wrong. Uh, and it's totally cool. The teacher's fine with it. <laughs> so that's <laughs> like really that. the stage. That's, that's a big stage of where I am right now. That's so, so nice of you. Thanks for doing that. Because I think, you know, someone like yourself, like you said, you've gone through the experience, you've fell down, got knocked down, you're back up and you learned, you don't have to spread the knowledge. And I'm so, I, I wish more people would, but thank you for doing that. That's so kind. Of course. No, it's, it's, it makes me happy to know that someone else is being saved from all the mistakes <laughs> I made. That's great. So Brittany is no longer with Superfan, right? She leave last year. Yep. She, she left and she's doing uh, amazing, doing a ton of speaking gigs, doing a ton of uh, deep dives into how to create super fans for other industries. Oh, fun. I imagine, um, I mean, you two were working on this for, for at least eight years then was, and you know, and now you're, so, I mean, you're still a co-founder, but I mean, that's gotta be hard. I mean, I mean, it's amazing. You know, I'm, I'm sure it was amicable and she's, you know, ready for the next phase of what she's up to. But for you now, kind of no longer having that partnership, was that a big adjustment? Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, it was definitely an adjustment for sure, but I think I was really fortunate to have such a strong team around me. Um, that made it much easier. And I really think that it was something that was done gradually. You know, it wasn't like one second on the next second off. It was something that phased out over about a year. So it sort of lessened the, it was a, it was a bandaid that was slowly ripping off (laughs) instead of a, a really fast one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, if there's one thing that entrepreneurship has taught me, it's that to get really used to change and to get really comfortable with change because things are always changing. And I think now more than ever, I'm definitely trying to carry that practice with me now. I think, my God, we've seen more change in the last 60 days with this pandemic than we have in the last yes, six years. So it's really about being like, okay, things are going to change. You know, what is true today is not going to be true in two weeks and it's not going to be true in two months. And so how do I just really stomach change, get, get uncomfortable, um, but be okay with it, you know, know that I'm uncomfortable, but, but say, okay, I'm going to just sit with this discomfort and I'm going to keep pushing forward, even though it feels sticky and icky and uncomfortable and I don't know what's going to happen and that's okay. Um, and so I think that entrepreneurship, um, is really something that uh, taught me about change in a big way. And so I felt, I felt prepared for change and continue to feel prepared for change. And I think that a lot of people can sort of dust off their entrepreneurial spirit inside of them and say, you know, it's time for me to get really comfortable with change because there's going to be a lot of it moving forward. Do you think that I'm imagining if you had never sort of ran into Brittany and gone down the path of Zimpack and then Superfan Company, do you think you would have ended up an entrepreneur anyway? Or what do you think you'd be no. doing right now? No? <laughs> no Selling magazines probably? No, not selling magazines. I don't know what I would have done. I, I probably would have worked at another magazine for a while. I I don't know. I, I would have stumbled into into something. I think that I'm a big believer in uh, really setting your, your end point and your end goal, but not being married to it. So I tell people all the time when you're getting ready to go on a trip and you're in the car, the first thing you do is you plug in your destination point and you don't worry about how you're going to get there. Waze worries about it or Google worries about it. Um, you just know where your blue dot is and you know where the red dot is, where you're going. And however you get there, who knows? And there might be a detour, but, but you get rerouted and life is the same way. So my end goal has always been, you know, create an environment where I'm happy, create an environment who I like, the people that I work with create an environment where I feel like I'm learning, where I feel like I'm inspired, where I feel like the work matters and you know, how I get there, who knows? And that could change and that could form, but like, that's the end goal. And so I think I would have continued to find that end goal, but yes, it might not have looked exactly like super fan. It could have looked like who knows? I could have been working at a sports team in their marketing department. I mean, I think to me, it's all about how do I accomplish the end goal and not so much how do I get there? I worry less about how I'm going to get there. And I think a lot of people in life, if they just focus on what they want out of a situation um, and they worry less about how they're getting there, it's like, 
don't worry about how you're going to get there. Life will figure that out. Just just focus on where you want to be. I like the uh, that Waze and GPS analogy. That's That's really <laughs> nice. I never thought of it that way, but it's a really good analogy. Thank you. So what's what's next? Um, you know, man, you think about the evolution from from Zimpack up until now, and that was at eight years, nine years. Um, I can't imagine, you know, with the work you're doing, what the next nine years would bring. Like nine years from now, are you sending out holograms? You know, like what is? <laughs> <laughs> That's a long time. I I I can't even imagine. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, who knows? Like I said before, um, I've made a real habit, um, since I started the company that we've never made a five-year plan. We've never made a two-year plan. Uh, I don't believe in them going back to that thing about change. I just, I think things change too fast and too quickly to make any plans. Um, so to me, it's, it's that end goal. It's, it's really just focusing on how do we continue to do work that's meaningful? How do we continue to do work that clients love, that fans love and, the rest we'll figure out, but that's always going to be the end goal. Oh, I love that. And I agree with you. Two-year, yeah. five-year plan. Two, even two years is way too long to be thinking about, in my opinion. Like things, I mean, pandemic aside, things change quickly enough that that's oh. a lifetime. Crazy. Well, Kim, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today and, and for sharing, I mean, here, but also just, you know, you mentioned everywhere. I, I see you have the course on LinkedIn and um, you're always sharing on your Instagram and stuff. And it's just great. Uh, you know, thanks for giving back and for encouraging the rest of us. And uh, yeah, just thank you. A lot of gratitude. Thank you. And yeah, if you're listening to this, please say hi. I'm on Instagram. It's just my name, Kim Kalp. Uh, I always tell people if you're looking at Instagram, you can start to spell uh, like Kim Kardashian, like K-I-M-K-A. <laughs> and it'll be like the second one under Kim Kardashian. And it's the Kim K with the clothes on. Because uh, one account has clothes off and the other has clothes on. Uh, so I'm very easy to find. Uh, and the Kim K on Instagram that has clothes on. Uh, so that there's that. And yeah, and like I said, my website is just kimcalp.com and there's a ton of resources on there and advice and my blog and all sorts of stuff. So I'd love to say hi and um, can't wait to hear from you guys. What an unfortunate situation that uh, others on Instagram have put you in. <laughs> it's, it's easy for people to find. Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app, rate and review us, and share this episode with a friend. Thanks.